changing it up a little bit today for the music um, here on Pastors of the Roundtable. You know, just trying to this listen to that. a little too fresh. Uh, Keep it fresh. <laughs> I don't know if I like that music for our intro. You don't like that music? No, don't. Don't, don't stop it. Don't redo it. Just okay. let just, everybody just go see the it. professionalism. Yeah. Listen to the professionalism right there. I mean, um, <clears throat> so this is Pastors of the Roundtable. This is the Discipleship Podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. It's brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, we encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and ministries of MMBC. Uh, sitting around the table, we got Scott Slater, Dave Arnold, Tim Michelangeli. I'm Spencer Snow. So here we are. We are thinking about Easter, the resurrection of Christ, which we've just celebrated this past Sunday. Um, and so we're thinking about that. The whole point of we've talked about the Palm Sunday. We've talked about Good Friday. Now we're talking about the um, resurrection of Christ and such like that. So um, the resurrection, of course, takes a, a, you know, as mentioned, Luke 24, Mark 16, Matthew 28, and John chapter um, 20. So we read here right after Jesus is uh, crucified, dies, um, that he is buried in a tomb. A man named Joseph of Arimathea comes. Um, he's a, a good guy. Um, he's a believer. And um, he's actually, a, we, are, we read he's a member of the council, um, but he hadn't consented in the death of Jesus. So he was probably a part of the Sanhedrin, but it kind of shows the um, <clears throat> shady political maneuvers that were pulled about in order to get Jesus executed by the Sanhedrin that this guy, I mean, it makes you think, was he there? Um, because he, he didn't consent to the decision and action, we're told. Um, so he gets the body of Jesus, takes it, um, gives it appropriate, um, um, you know, burial, uh, goes through the proper procedures, wraps him in a linen shroud and such, puts him in the tomb in which no person has yet been laid. Um, and we read about the women. There are women there who are followers of Jesus. Um and that Jesus is put into the tomb on Friday evening um, and is there all uh, the Sabbath day before uh, the first day of the week when he when he raises. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, when we see here, Jesus is put into the tomb and and he's put into a rich man's tomb. Why is it important, do you think, the, um, the, the, the gospel writers go into some detail here talking about... <clears throat> Mentioning Joseph of Arimathea, mentioning the fact that Jesus is put in a tomb where no one has been put been put yet, and it's a rich man's tomb. And why mention these details about even his burial um, that were given in various gospels, and not just simply say he was buried, which I guess you could have said, but why go through and mention some of these details about his burial um, I mean, beforehand? It, it proves his death. Right, I mean, it, it shows great detail that was taken because uh, there are some who would say that Jesus didn't die. Right. Um, that maybe something else happened there. Like he swooned or fainted. Or yeah, who knows what. But, yeah. I mean, it kind of shows, no, I mean, Roman soldiers knew he was dead because they were going to break his legs or whatever. But then they went to him, no, right. he's dead. They shove a sword in his side. He's dead. Uh, 
this smart man, it seems, he's a, an educated right. man, right. has him took off the cross, wraps him up sure. as if he's dead, takes yeah. him to his tomb, which is where dead people go. Usually. Puts him, <laughs> yeah. puts him in the in his own tomb, and then it also gives a, a person, it gives a place, gives a name. Right. right. It gives credence to... It makes it historically makes it, verifiable. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All this, mm-hmm. that all this happened, yeah. I mean, and uh, just the great detail there helps helps with that. Definitely, definitely. Anybody else? We we'll go around the circle. Already said mine. <laughs> what do you think? Can you answer your yeah. own question? <laughs> no, I think that you're true. That the, the historically verifiable stuff, because I mean, first of all, the soldiers, right, were very good at killing people. Yes. This was their job, right? Um, so we have them there making sure Jesus is dead. And then um, we have Joseph getting the body, still dead. The women around him, still dead. I mean, just like, you know, multiple people mm-hmm. able to verify in a, you know, for instance, if you were to have somebody put under oath about what you saw, you know, like in a court case or whatever, you have all these different people from all these, with, with, with all sorts of different interests and stakes in this matter. Right, you got people who were sympathetic to Jesus. You got soldiers who this was probably another day's work. Mm-hmm. I mean, all sorts of people to verify the fact that yes, he really did die for our sins. Because, like you pointed out, one of the um, at least one objection to the whole resurrection idea is that Jesus really didn't die. Like you know, um, one theory is that you know, like yeah, he swooned. He 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 had fainted um, on the cross, and this is maybe an older objection that. Um, but you know, Jesus was just kind of out of it in a coma. But then, whenever he was in the tomb, he he woke up and uh, and and yeah. surprised everybody else. And um, and like I was listening actually to the White Horse Inn, and they talked about how yeah somehow Jesus with his shoulders popped out probably because Sorry. of the nature of of uh, the crucifixion, he was then maybe somehow able after all this beating and bruising to then roll his own tomb out. I mean, you just think about the, it won't happen. It it can't happen. So yeah, just re-verifying the fact that he really did die. It wasn't a fake, a fake death um, as well. And also it had been prophesied before, right? That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Um, I believe, was that Isaiah 53? He had his, yeah, suffering servant passage. Yeah, I believe that's where it says he yeah. had his. Um, I believe so. Oh, let me see here. Um, he poured out his soul to death. Oh yeah, verse nine. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Isaiah fifty-three verse nine. So, yeah, pointing out again his grave was with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Um, So already that had been prophesied before, further confirming the fact that the guy that's described in Isaiah 53 is Jesus of Nazareth. So he's, he dies and then he is in the tomb on the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. Um, This was the real, this was the last real Sabbath. Yeah. Last Jewish Sabbath. Right. That was required. Um, And we read in Luke's gospel, it says they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. What is that day like, that Saturday, that last Jewish Sabbath? What is that like if you're a disciple of Jesus? Um, 
what are you thinking? What are you, I mean, we're not told much of their psychology, but what do you think is going on in their minds? I'm sure they're confused. You know, I'm sure they're broken for multiple reasons. One of, they probably feel they failed, you know, their friend, the one that they were looking up to. But then also they feel maybe that he failed them. Like they had all this hope and promise that he was going to do all these things and it just didn't come about. It didn't happen. And so I don't know if they're they're hiding, you know, maybe sure. they're scared that people are still going to recognize them yeah. as being apart. And so it seems like they were together, you know, they weren't right. they weren't all apart. They they got back together. Um, sure. Probably being good Jews and resting, you know, not mm-hmm. not working, not doing anything like that. Uh but just a lot of contemplating and again mm-hmm. and hurt. They they were close to Jesus. I mean, they were friends with him too. Yeah. Been three years along his, with him everywhere right. he went. And I'm sure they cared for him. And so their friend, even if he wasn't the Messiah, yeah, it was their friend who had died in embarrassingly right, yeah. and horribly. And they weren't there for him at all. Yeah. Uh, and so just that hurt or, I don't know, they're humans too. So maybe John's like, I was there. What in the world? Where did you go? Yeah. So he's mad maybe. And I, right. don't, I don't know, you know what all that's going on. But. And you know, you hear about how people, everybody grieves differently. Mm-hmm. So you think about each of the disciples right now is kind of grieving yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, confused, yeah. grieving. We, Seems like Thomas left maybe. Yeah. I mean, Thomas he, is. He's not around later. Right. Uh, yeah. He's so, kind of going alone, yeah. going it alone for a while. Just wants to be away from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, others want to be together maybe. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you just think about what it must have been like on that, that Saturday, but then, um, and, go ahead, just, go ahead. Just real quick, it's, it's the end of Passover and that's the final mm. part of the week and it's, it's Shabbat, it's Sabbath. And so right. you don't do anything, but it's kind of like, if I understand correctly, based on some of my research and, re- and reading I've done, it was like, okay, you have this week celebration and you have the, the sacrifice yeah. and, and then you have rest yeah, you have the day, and I guess I'm assuming uh, most likely for the disciples is like, this is the Sabbath, but our master's gone. And, sure, and so all these thoughts of, you know, like you said, disappointment, grieving, yeah. dis- disillusionment. It was probably a really difficult time because they they can't do anything. You're not, you're not supposed to go out and go right. to market and do stuff. Sure, the Sabbath. You know, but they may have but, the, the, the synagogues would have been open. Yeah, synagogue would have been open. Right, yeah, so reading of the scriptures and maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Did they go to Did they go to synagogue that day? I don't know. Or bedside Baptist. Yeah, bedside Baptist. Right. Well, yeah. That's. Um, I never thought of that before. I never. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard of that phrase before, Dave. That's good. Bedside Baptist. Yeah, bedside really? Baptist. Yeah, and I'm a lifelong Baptist, so that's um. um it's a really cheesy joke. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Scott, no comment from Scott. No comment from Scott. Um. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you're probably confused, dazed. Um, and just uh, grieving. But then, so then on the first day of the week, right, at at the very early, we read elsewhere that, I think is it in John's Gospel, about the uh, women. It says, uh, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and there were other women too, right, while it was still dark. So it's not necessarily full light. And we know what it's like, I mean, um, um, we know what it's like whenever the sun is just breaking in over the horizon, right? And it's, you know, you can maybe see a little bit of stuff, but you can imagine these women, um, just as the sun is starting to come up, 
Um, it's still mostly dark, but it, you know the, the the shadows are starting to disappear. And you can imagine these women making their way wherever they were at in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem, making their way in the mostly darkness but lightening up world to Jesus's tomb to go and find the tomb. And here's another thing too that I think is is helpful is that the fact that Jesus's tomb was in was in a rich man's grave made it very identifiable. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things was, there's this another thing I'm listening to recently about how some people think, well, Jesus's grave, one of the problems was, is Jesus had been moved uh, maybe to one of the uh, the criminals' um, uh, tombs, right? They had, they, had, they had a criminal graveyard, I guess, for criminals, and maybe Jesus had been moved there. Or uh, maybe they just got the wrong tomb, and they, they came to the tomb, and Jesus wasn't there, but the women had just... Got gotten confused and went to the wrong tomb. Well, the problem is it's hard is, to get the wrong tomb when there are guards guarding the well, tomb. That's, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's another thing too. And also, there there weren't tons of rich man tombs. Mm. There was other ordinary tombs for ordinary people, but for Josephus to have this very nice tomb, there's not that many of them. Mm. His name is not Josephus. Sorry, Joseph of Arimathea. <laughs> okay. The other thing that. Uh, Man, Scott, I listen, that. sorry, that's, just, that's the one contrib- really confused. That's the one contribution Scott can give is <laughs> to correct not me. True. Come on, <laughs> go ahead. The other Tim. thing in that that podcast you listened to, I did too. They never mentioned uh, Peter and John run to the tomb, and they run to the same tomb. So that means they made the same exact mistake that the yeah, women did. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Went the wrong direction yeah. as well. Yeah. Right, right. Good yeah. point. Good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to the tomb. They're going to find it. Um, and they, we read there in uh, chapter 20 of John. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that this stone had been taken away from the tomb. So the stone is taken away from the tomb. Would this, uh, Dave, you probably would know a lot about this, like about the, t- the stone, would it be easy to just, even without guards being there, would it, would it be easy to just go up and roll the stone away? Especially, like you said, with the Richman tomb. Um, with, what are you guys laughing at? I don't know why he thinks you're the know. pro expert at this. I don't know. <laughs> I do. You do a lot of CrossFit moves. <laughs> <laughs> Those big tires. Hey. No. no. He's like, Dave, you're going to know a lot about rolling stones over tombs. Hey. That's it, the rolling stones. <laughs> there it is. Okay. All right, Tim. Okay. Tim, I just be, listen, Tim. I just, thought it was funny. Just because, listen, just because funny. you've been in multiple Easter programs doesn't make you an expert on we the road. Ro- we do it with fishing lines. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Do I need to mute some other people so we can have an adult conversation, Dave? Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm. I guess I'm not a, a stone rolling expert, <laughs> here. but yeah. I'm glad that we uh, clarified that. Um, anyhow, was it granite, uh, slate, yeah. sandstone? <laughs> what do we got? What kind of stone? I don't, but, Dave, what kind of what kind so, of stone was uh, it? <laughs> limestone. Yeah, you know, or could could it be marble? How rich was? Yeah, it? that could. <laughs> be. No, but if it was a, you know, obviously being a rich man's tomb, I think that's that's very significant. Of course, it fulfills uh, prophecy as well. But it would have been ornate. It would have been elaborate. It would have been very thick. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, there's no way, especially with the Roman guards there, and uh, I mean, there's no way that you know especially with the women coming first, they could just push that away or anybody for that matter, push that away and just be like, Hey, let's go pop in and see how he's doing, you know? Right. Now, one thing I had heard before about this 
I can't remember if it was on a secular thing or whatever, mm-hmm. but saying that it could have been since he was rich, that it could have been made in a way where it wasn't as hard as we think to roll the stone, mm-hmm. you know, that they would have dug out a trench for it. It might mm-hmm. not have been like this big, huge round boulder, like you're thinking, but it said maybe a flat mm. had been cut out that was round, but, but pretty flat. And that would roll. Yeah. I mean, if these two women were going, then and maybe they, the they women, were, yeah. if they were expecting to be able to go in and I think and they even asked, didn't the that. women ask in the passage, like, how are we going to, I think in Mark's gospel, yeah, they're, they they're actually talking about how are we going to do this? Hmm. Yeah. How are we going to get the stone? Rolled <laughs> yeah. Back? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, yeah, because in verse three of cha- of Mark chapter sixteen, and they were saying to one another, "Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb?" Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and then looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. We're told as well in, in mm. Mark chapter sixteen, verse four. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah go ahead. it must have been difficult. No, I just I just had heard that, and I thought, yeah, that could have been, you know, where instead of taking fifteen guys or something, maybe two guys could do it because of yeah. how it was made right. and constructed. You know, they were smart back well, then. Well, and too. I, go ahead, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to make a comment. I didn't know if we were going to say this or not, but you know, we talked about that all the details included about who the tomb belonged to mm-hmm. and the details of that makes this a historically verifiable claim. Yeah. But also another detail here that's important historically is that the fact that the Bible and the, the biblical account says that women found the empty tomb first. If if the disciples of Jesus were trying to make up this story and fabricate the resurrection, they would not have said that hmm. uh, because the testimony of women was not regarded the way that the testimony of men was. Mm. Yeah, And so true. I've always heard that that is... That's one of the historically verifiable facts of mm. the resurrection is because if they were trying to make this up, right. this is not the order of events that would have happened. Mm-hmm. It right. would not have been believable to anybody. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good good point again. Point. Yeah, because um, that's another thing, right? Um, yeah, it's not Peter who first finds Jesus. It's not John or James or anybody else. It's it's these these women, right? Mary Magdalene and the other ladies um, there who first see Christ. So they're there, they, they show up and the temple, the stone has been uh, rolled away. Um, the guards presumably are, how, how did it, how'd you guys do it in the programs? I haven't What's been here that? for an Easter program where the guards, yeah, they, they fall I, down. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they run away because okay. you don't know how to get them off the stage otherwise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes so, they would fall, but then a blackout would happen so they could get out. Okay. And then Randy uses the fishing wire to, to pull roll, them to roll the stone. <laughs> oh, to roll the stone back. <laughs> it rolls back. And they'll be You're like a giving light. away all the secrets. And there's like a light in there. <laughs> <laughs> fog, a lot of fog. A lot of fog. <laughs> the smoke, you know. So, oh, this is an interesting detail too. We're, so the stone is rolled away. They go in, there's no body there. Isn't it interesting that we're not actually told the process of the resurrection? Right. Like we're not, we're told he was dead, he was in there, and then the women showed up and he's gone. And the stone is rolled away and there's angels there and, and all that. But we're not actually told that whole process of, of how it happened. Why do you think that is? Is that by divine design? in the scriptures that we're not... I mean, I would assume, since right. we don't have it, yeah. Sure. Maybe that's not what's important. Like, we don't need to know what first, right. first his thumb twitched. Right, right, <laughs> And then right. his toes started to wiggle. You right, know, and, right. And he folded, he got up, folded his clothes really nice and neat, put them out. Like, I, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's detail that we need to know. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be. Just yeah. 
No, I, I mean, I think so. I just think that that's a fascinating thing because if I if I was writing this, right, not you know, but if if someone was just making this up, that would be something I think you would want to emphasize is how this whole thing went about. But they don't. There's no. There, that's and in some ways too. That's kind of like a very. I'm gonna use the word intimate, but like divine, like between the father and the son, that's mm. like their moment. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not like a, it's almost where the glory, like we're not allowed to see that mm. where this, yeah. the re, the lamb is resurrected again. Um, we know that it happens and we know that we will partake in that resurrection one day as well. But this unique moment, mm. we're not, in, we're not privy to all of the intricacies of, of how God brought that about, yeah. so I mean, to speak. I, I don't know. I think is it uh, the Passion of the Christ? Is that the, the scene in that movie? Like it basically has like his burial, if I remember right. Like he's laying in the tomb, but then all of a sudden it's almost like he's like Yoda, and he just disappears. Oh, the clothes start to go yeah, down. the clothes go down it, like when Yoda it, disappears. Like waiting, yeah, yeah, and it's like I, I wouldn't think that it would be much different from when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, when he tells him to come out, and he comes out, and he's still wrapped in all of his burial mm. clothing, right? And so, I mean, I I don't know why it would be much different than that. Mm. But at the same time, I think the the point is that that's not really the mm. the important part. Mm-hmm. Here. Yeah, right. But you bring up the burial clothing. Now that's something that the gospel writers mm. emphasize. Was there? Right? Is there? Mm-hmm. And um, so I'll read from uh, John chapter twenty. Right, you're right. Mary Magdalene goes. She tells Peter. Um, she says they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So her first inclination, and this shows, by the way, first further proof of the resurrection. Her first thing, gut instinct, is not resurrection. Stolen body. She was not thinking that this is what was going to happen. So they couldn't have just made this up because they're saying our gut reaction was never resurrection was the truth about Jesus. They thought a general resurrection was true, but not Jesus' specific resurrection here. So, yeah, they think right away, someone's stolen the body. Mm-hmm. It's gone. So Peter, of course, who loves the Lord Jesus Christ a lot and has a lot of lot of emotions going on, I'm sure, is hightails it out, heads out. John outruns him uh, to the tomb first, and it says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. This is John, I believe. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So, what is why why the the focus? Why why does this catch their eyes? Details of that. It's kind of like it reminds me of. Okay, you're gonna think I'm nerdy. I know you guys all think this is nerdy. I I watch a BBC show now called Father Brown. And it's oh, about a G. Catholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Dave. So um, I'm with you. Yeah, thank, um, it's about a Catholic priest who solves murders, right? But he <laughs> and and does stuff. It's a cool show. Yeah, it, I'm, sounds and, cool. It's and cool. the books are cool. Actually. Yeah, it's cool. But um, but you know, so he's trying to put the pieces together, and and like sometimes some clues, right, or whatever. You know, you can think about a detective novel and how each clue kind of starts is curious or odd or whatever. What? Why does this clue, so to speak? Why does this piece of evidence make Peter and John actually says whenever he saw this, he says, "I believed." He does. It says, I didn't tell people it, but it was whenever I saw the cloths, the way they were that I actually believed. Mm -hmm. What was it about these cloths 
and their placement that kind of, and the whole scene of the tomb that made them think, what, what was curious about that, I guess, do you think? Well, first of all, if somebody stole the body, would they go into that much detail? Um, or why would they unwrap or, it? Or, yeah, or, or invention, if you will, to, to take that much time. Mm-hmm. To, to take the cloth, you know, I mean, obviously the face cloth is kind of a, a easy, but to unwrap him and to do all that. If right. you're going to steal a body, just grab it. Right, know? right. <laughs> to, and just try not to leave any evidence, if you sure. will, you know, because now they couldn't do DNA testing, obviously, like we can do now. But still, they're gonna, there's going to be, you know, they're going to try to just grab the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think probably in their minds, like, there's no way someone stole it. This is yeah. the way it's laid out. It was probably perfectly kind of sit, sat, you know, had sat there or it was perfectly folded or whatever. It was very clear, very pristine. And it's like, this has to be divine. It doesn't look like there was. So like one of the things, right, if there were people coupled it, right, if you were going in just to get the body, mm-hmm. if that was your goal, you would just get the body and you wouldn't worry about taking the cloths exactly. off. On the other hand, if you're there, because I've heard, right, the cloth itself was actually, could be worth something, correct? Uh-huh. Or the, maybe this, or, or the, or the, uh, the, the ointments or the something. Murder, yeah. Oils, yeah. I think I've heard elsewhere that that could be valuable. You would just strip that off. Um, but I, uh, and I could be wrong about that, but I think the point is, is that the way in which the cloths are laying and folded don't give a chaotic, it wasn't like mm-hmm. this was a violent you know, go breaking into yeah, the wasn't tomb. Somebody doing it in a hurry. Yeah. yeah. The time to fold it and to set it there. Right. Yeah. Right. And so they're like, huh, this is, this doesn't look like the scene of a crime. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like there's violence or force being used here. It looks very orderly. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost like somebody just folded their clothes and put them to the side and, and walked out of the tomb. Um, and so that's, and so what John, right? So he, he sees, and, and specifically he says there, he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Mm-hmm. So they're in separate, they're, they're distinct places in the tomb um, laying there. Yeah. That's what I mean. In my head, the way I pictured it, because it doesn't say that the cloths were folded it says the the face covering was folded. right right good the point. other ones were laying there and so for me again you don't know how much <laughs> we're speculating because we weren't we don't know but we don't know how much of this is miraculous and not and so mm-hmm. from my fleshly side what i think is if jesus is laying there his body is there he's dead and all of a sudden he's alive i'm alive he somehow gets up because his arms are bound and his legs are bound. Right. He somehow gets up and manages to get the cloths off of him first, I would guess. Right. And so he's sitting on the side of, of the rock right. now. So I, I could see him like wiggling out of that, getting the cloths down to the sure. ground, laying there, taking the thing off of his head while he's sitting there, mm. folds it up, sets that aside. So it's right. separate. And then I don't know, walks out of the tomb or, we don't know. We don't know what happened there or yeah. at that point. I mean, because it even says, like, with Thomas and them, he just showed up. Yeah, he could go <laughs> through don't buildings. Know, don't know how that works with me. Right. He didn't necessarily need the rock to be moved for himself. Sure. Again, we don't know. I mean, right. I, I don't he, know. Just he moved the rock for he, their sake. Maybe he moved the rock. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so that way everybody could come see. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, but that's how I picture reading that. You yeah. Know, was the cloths are on the ground because he got out of it. 
took the thing off, folded that up, set it next to him. Right. Out. Right. And then it says here, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, talking about John, and he saw and believed. Mm-hmm. But this is interesting. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So even there, he says, we saw this. We believe this, something was going on here, but we didn't even yet understand the scriptures. So he seems to be placing the scriptures even on a higher level that whenever you do understand the scriptures, Mm -hmm. you understand Jesus um, uh, better. So eventually Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, right? It's a beautiful image. Um, she sees him, she's weeping, and uh, but it's whenever he calls her name, Mary, um, and she she uh, is uh, just grabs him, uh, is, is uh, um, just doesn't want to let him go, right? She, um, he says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then on the tail end of the evening of that day, he then does what you pointed out, Tim, before on the first day of the week. So this is also a good reminder to people why we as believers worship on the first day of the week. Jesus rose on the first day of the week from the tomb. Then he appears to them on the evening of the first day of the week. Pentecost is on the first day of the week. He appeared to Thomas on the first day of the week. So the first day of the week is repeatedly blessed by the Lord Jesus with his uh, his presence um and so that's what set the the table for the early christians to start meeting on the first day of the week which they actually called the lord's day i think jonathan edwards if i remember i did a study on his um view of the sabbath or his writing on the sabbath and he talks about how the exodus was also the first day of the week when the children of israel left egypt and crossed over wow that's cool so anyway, there's yeah. significance with that. There my, is my point to your point. Yeah, and it's the beginning of a new creation. Yes, you know the yeah. of the old creation was celebrated on this last day of the week. Mm-hmm. The new creation is celebrated on the first day mm-hmm. of the week. Yep. And uh, so Jesus comes, and it says the doors were locked mm-hmm. uh, for fear of the Jews. So the the disciples are here, scared to death. Even after maybe hearing about some of this resurrection stuff, and they're scared to death. And Jesus, it's interesting, he doesn't come and knock on the door and ask to come in. He comes right through the wall into their presence. And uh, Scott's looking at me with a little bit of a... Does it say the wall? (laughs) It says Jesus came and stood among them. They could have been through the floor. Okay, ceiling. He's I'm, he's ornery today, I'm man. Just being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he comes there, right? And he he stands in their midst. And one of the things I've heard from uh, somebody else um, was talking about this passage, right? And he comes in. They don't feel at peace. So the first thing he tells them is, "Peace be to you. Peace be with you." Um, he gives them his peace to rest upon his scared disciples. So we talked about the very tail end. Remember at his crucifixion um, leading up to that, he's always concerned about the father's glory and his disciples good. And even here afterwards, he doesn't show up and just brag. He says, he knows they're scared. And so he says, peace be with you. Um, Yeah. Those are powerful words. I think that at that moment, they don't feel peaceful, do they? 
They are in turmoil inside, and their whole world feels crazy. Um, it says the disciples were glad. Yeah, it's um, interesting. I mean, he says, peace be with you, uh, but we don't see that peace came upon them at that moment. Yeah. And after that, he sh- he gives them proof of who he is. It mm-hmm. says he shows them his hands. Yeah. Right? So it's not just like a... It, it It's a peace with action as well. Jesus wants them to have peace, gives them... Because he shows them his hands, and then again, he says it again. Peace yeah. be with you again after right. he does this. And then they're realizing who he is and, and what he's done. And this is... Uh, this is when they're when they're glad. They see yeah. the hands. They're right. glad. This is the Lord. And he says, Peace be with you again. Right. Right. And then he gives them some more some more instruction there. He reminds them that there's now peace between I mean, they don't they maybe haven't understood everything fully, but peace between them and God has been fully established. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an objective fact, not a possibility. It but is it, yeah. And it's real. And mm-hmm. so now, because it's real, now be peaceful. Yeah, and it seems to be the work that Christ is still doing on our behalf Yeah, for sinners is he's proving himself to sinners still, right? Uh, where he, he proves it to the disciples by showing their hands. Uh, the Bible tells us that Christ still at this very moment is opening the eyes of unbelievers to see the truth of the gospel. Because again, think of all that they've seen. Yeah. They've seen so much. There's so much evidence there. But like you were saying, they go in the tomb and they see the cloth, and it says they believe, but it, it says not until they still didn't understand the scriptures. Right. And uh, today what you'll hear people say is, man, if that was me, if I would have ran in the tomb, that's when I would have believed. And it's like, no, you no. need the scriptures. It's, yeah. It's upholding, which we have. Right. We have the scriptures. And, and how Jesus you know, says there that he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. And we see then on Pentecost, and they're receiving the, yeah. the Holy Spirit. And that's what we have. We've been given the the Holy Spirit. And Jesus would say, one greater than me is coming. And what does he mean by that? Well, he also says that the Holy Spirit doesn't say anything apart from him being told what to say, right? doesn't speak on his own behalf. The Holy Spirit speaks on what the Son tells him to say. And hmm. and we've been given this now as the church, these great truths. And and so that is still a saying for us, you know, it's, it's peace be with you. And it's not just some fake false peace and just some abstract thing which some people would claim jesus is no he's saying peace be with you and let me prove it to you right here it is in the scripture Mm. all over the place yeah here it is this everlasting peace that i alone can give to you right that's yeah what we see being played out here he and and right after he says the second time he says peace be with you then he says as the father has sent me even so i am sending you Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of interesting here Right after his resurrection, he speaks the message, the gospel of peace mm-hmm. to them. And then having shown them himself and preached the gospel of peace to them, peace be with you, he now sends them out to take the same message about himself. He um, authorizes them to take this message now to other people and actually sends them yeah. to do that. Which it seems they do right away because the next lines are, Thomas wasn't there. Right, but the disciples found him. Rick found him and, and said, brought him listen, here. Listen, yeah. listen to what happened. And it's funny because as Christians now, you know, we're told to go. Still, we're we're supposed to share the gospel with people. And what's the big thing? Is like, oh, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be told no. Hmm. So were the disciples by Thomas. Right. They're like, yeah, yeah. You're crazy. He's they, like, no, no, I will never believe mm-hmm. unless I see it yeah. with my own eyes. Right. Which God in His grace gave to Thomas. Yeah. Let him see it. That's right. Good. Jesus right. does see it, but. 
Yeah, that that same fear that we have yeah. the disciples face too. Yeah, with their own. Sure, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> and he sends them out to take the message about himself, and then because of that, he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So notice, by the way, the Trinitarian nature there. The Son is mentions the Father. He says, "The Father has sent me. I'm sending you." And now he says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So the Son gives us the Spirit who comes from the Father also. Which is interesting. I don't have this answer right off the top of my head, but we know that later in Acts, you know, how Jesus tells them, go and the Holy Spirit yeah. will come upon you. Think, did the Holy Spirit already come upon them here? I think it's kind of like a, a pre-Pentecost. You know I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an, that's yeah. an interesting yeah. question. I think it'd be something to, to think about there a little bit more. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we see the Trinity there. You know, the yeah. Father sent me, here I am. Yeah. Here have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And notice what he says. Receive the Holy Spirit. Because remember, I'm sending you. And then here's what he says gospel preaching looks like. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. What does that mean? Hmm. It means I have power. <laughs> so what does it, it mean? You better be nice. What Spencer. does it mean for <laughs> the Pope? The Pope would take that. <laughs> yeah, the Pope. Yes. <laughs> um, so what does it mean for me and you to forgive the sins of anyone? He's uh, speaking to the apostles there initially, mm -hmm. the 11 mm -hmm. or 10, I guess. Is Simon. Thomas, Thomas isn't there yet, but yeah. yeah. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. What does it mean for the apostles to forgive the sins of anyone? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, because the apostles definitely have a different role than we did. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we see we see that with the work that they were called to go and do. And so they were about to witness some extraordinary things. Some huge changes are about to take place. Yeah. They're going to go and share share the gospel with people and they're probably going to give assurance to people yeah. of salvation or even my mind even goes to like uh Peter with uh the the centurion right yeah Peter with the Extent. with the gentile yeah, yeah. with the gentile mm -hmm. family yeah. and, and he goes back and he's like listen I saw this happen like mm. it happened forgiveness right. was there and it's almost him declaring like I know that this is what happened, you know, and because mm -hmm. he's an apostle or whatever, forgiveness happened to them. I know it did. I saw mm -hmm. it. I witnessed it with my own eyes, blah, blah, blah. So there's this power almost that they have, this authority mm -hmm. that they were given as apostles to to, de to determine what was real and what was false. Or, you know, similarly with, uh, it's with Paul on the road, right, and you got the guy who's proclaiming Christ but who doesn't know Christ mm -hmm. and wants to buy yeah, wants to buy the power to yeah. do these Simon different Magus. works, and then you almost see the apostle there be like, "You're mm -hmm. not really one of us." Right, right, you right. Know, you sort of have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think too, I think there's a an aspect of this where <clears throat> the church as a whole has been given the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Mm -hmm. So Jesus here is authorizing and sending his disciples now to take the message of forgiveness that he preached to them about this resurrection message. Now you take this same resurre resurrection message from me. I'm the, Jesus is always the one doing the forgiving, but he brings that gospel message through other people to us. And the Holy spirit is the one who empowers that to happen. So and whenever we go to take the gospel message to other people, Jesus has authorized us and sent us to take the message of the forgiveness of sins in his name mm. to everybody. And um, 
And also this could be something also where we talk about the keys of the kingdom yeah. language as yeah. well, which is church life with, um, right, even, and that includes things like we think about church discipline or things like that. I think the whole point is, is that this is kind of a great commission passage in a sense. Um, and the, and every Christian has been given, is authorized and is entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim him and the benefits that come from believing in him to the lost world. Um, and that's what, that's what he's doing here. And that's pretty exciting stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and because the message isn't about me. The message isn't about Spencer. It's not about even my personal transformation. It's not even about my experience with Jesus. It's about Jesus mm-hmm. and what he did in the gospel accounts and who he is. And what he does. And John says He is the gospel. And he says so much, John does in verses thirty and thirty one. Right. Says now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's saying, yeah. This is the whole purpose of the book that I'm writing. Yeah. Basically to do what he just commissioned me to us to go do. Yep. I want to write it for people to see. I John may be even realizing I can't talk to everybody. Right, I can't sit here and have conversations with everybody, but I can write this again, led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I can pen this, and the purpose of this is that you will take this, you will believe in Him, and have life in His His name. Right. Not me, not John, not whoever. Yeah, but in but in Jesus. And everything that we do as a church is really summed up in verse twenty three, in verses twenty two and twenty three. We're about the we're about the soul and the forgiveness of sins. So we're not about, um, you know, whether it be practicing um, preaching mm-hmm. or whether it be baptism or the Lord's Supper or Christian education or whatever it is we're doing in, in the service or anything. It is centrally about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and the reality of he's the judge of all the earth. And that's not, we're, not about, yeah. we're not about changing the culture. Hmm. primarily we're about this yeah i think that's one of the saddest states that we find many churches in is they almost seem to have gotten past the whole jesus and forgiveness of sin thing and it's like we now need to move on to the other things you know of like you just said of changing culture or impacting uh, political realms or whatever it might be yeah uh even to the point where sometimes you get the sense when you're preaching the gospel that everybody's looking at you in the service thinking I know this. Let's move on to the right. the real stuff here. And it's like, no, as a church, this is what we've been commissioned to do. We have a resurrected Savior yeah. Yeah. who died for our sins and and can forgive the sins of people. That is yeah. what our message is. And mm-hmm. nothing, I don't have anything else. Does it play out then probably in your life in, yes. in those realms? Absolutely. But as the church, it is our job to constantly be doing this, what we've right. been called to do. Tell people about who Jesus is mm-hmm. and what he has done. Right. Right. And, and that, that's the main, that's our authorization. That's the most powerful thing we have, Mm -hmm. you know, and if, if we're not getting excited about that, if we're not doing that work, then we're, we're missing the whole purpose of the church and what the church is there for. And a lot of churches sadly have, have gone astray with that. They would say they still believe in Christ, that they still, yes, he does forgiveness, but it's almost like they're saying, but that has led to bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. Let's be Mm -hmm. about the bigger and better things Mm -hmm. where it seems like scripture here is teaching us there is no bigger and better. Right. Yeah. At all. I, I think one of the cool things here, sorry, no, bit, but is that is to see how the Great Commission, it's not explicitly, but that's mm-hmm. basically what we have here flows from Christ's resurrection directly to the disciples experiencing that peace 
And now they are now the channels of passing on that same message of peace mm-hmm. to the whole, to others. Um, and you can see just the simple continuity of it. Yeah. And it's all Christ working in them through the spirit to do it. So I think that's a very helpful past thing about this resur- connecting it straight from the resurrection. And really that, that resurrection power is still exploding in one continual explosion. In a sense, the reverberations mm-hmm. are still being felt 2000 years um, today, um, still saving people's lives. Dave, did you have something you wanted well, to add? Gonna, in? To say kind of to Tim's point, like even George Whitfield, when he would preach, you know, you must you must be born again if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And and he had people come up to him and say, "Can you give us something different, something fresh? We've heard you say this over and over again." He said, "This is the gospel. <laughs> this is what right. is the right. gospel." And I think there's that even back then in the 1700s, there's this kind of people want what's new, what's fresh, you know. And uh, and you know, Jesus makes it clear to his disciples, "This is what I've been trusting you with. This is." The ministry of reconciliation, forgiveness of mm. sins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, real quickly, because I know we're forty-five minutes in. If you guys don't mind answering, uh, why did why did he have to rise? Why is the resurrection necessary? Um, we talked the last time about why the death was was necessary, and why Jesus was the only one that could fulfill that, being fully God and fully man, and that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So, we talked about that with the uh, Good Friday podcast. Could you guys talk? Uh, real quick, because I, I don't want to go too much longer. Why is the resurrection necessary? Why couldn't Jesus have just died like all the other sacrifices and just honestly been thrown into the heap and pile outside the gate and burnt? You know, why Why is it necessary that the resurrection take place? I stumped him. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was just, it takes me to 1 Corinthians 15. Mm. Yeah where Paul is talking about the resurrection, he says that it's in accordance with the scriptures, Mm -hmm. as in this is something that needed to be fulfilled. This was something that was going to happen. But he there even says that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and Mm. your faith is in vain. Mm. Um, Apart from the resurrection, we don't really know what happened and if it meant anything and if it actually accomplished anything. Um, but Christ was raised from the dead because his death did accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And because of his resurrection, we are then able to have hope for new life in Christ. And so it's not just that your sin has been paid for, it's that you are now a new creation in Christ, um, being raised with him. Mm -hmm. And if he wasn't raised... We won't be raised. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, you're exactly right, Scott. I think that that 1 Corinthians 15 passage is kind of like a go-to for this question, I think. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. It's our hope. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Is that a song? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If he's not alive either, he can't come back and take us with him. Right. Right? I mean, exactly. uh, if his his sacrifice, I think if he didn't rise again, we would have to still have continual sacrifices mm-hmm. then it, yep. that that one yeah. didn't have the power then to raise us up and, and really satisfy the death, but also to conquer death. The The resurrection we see is conquering mm-hmm. death. Christ conquered death. And so you go back to Hebrews, which we so often do, is that we don't have to keep having these yearly sacrifices over and over again. Yep. The perfect man died once for all and is coming again to take us with him. Mm-hmm. And right now, he still continues to do work for us, seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, fully God, fully man, fully God, and will come again to take us with him mm. and to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so, but if he's dead, then that's not 
that's not the case. We, right. don't, we wouldn't yeah. have that. And God also, there's a sense in which <clears throat> Paul says that Jesus's resurrection was Jesus's justification mm-hmm. or his, his the declaration by God that this man was righteous. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus hadn't been raised from the grave, we would have to assume that God the Father looked at him and said, yeah, he got what he deserved. Right. And that's it. Yeah. But the yeah. fact that he was raised for our justification <clears throat> means that because he earned his justification, yeah. Yeah. we get justification because he earned yeah. it for us. Yeah. So our whole standing with him is based upon this. Yeah, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile mm. and you are still in your, your sins. sins. Yeah, yeah. And Romans 5 talks about that justification. Yeah. Resurrection. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. If if Jesus doesn't raise again, then that means God is not just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the only thing that equals death is sin. Right, of which Jesus had none. And so, if he's still dead, then we are worshiping a God who is not just right. at all. Either either God is unjust or Jesus was a sinner. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. If he's not raised, yeah, um, from the dead. And um, then you're still in your sins <laughs> yes. either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, either yeah. way, we're we're we're, we're yeah. messed up. We're in we're trouble. Yeah. Um, so and so the resurrection is is necessary, and not yeah. just a spiritual resurrection, Correct. but a physical. physical resurrection is necessary for what we teach and preach, what the Bible says, in order to be real. And that's why in that podcast we've been listening to Spencer, they have said over and over again: if you want to prove Christianity wrong, show us a body. Yep. Find the body, show us the body, and we will have to say, you guys were right, yeah. we were wrong. Right. Yeah. We have to. Yeah, because Paul, I mean, the Paul from, from 1 Corinthians 15 seems to assume that if you, that Christianity is a verifiable religion. Mm-hmm. You, theoretically, if you wanted to, you could go for, try to prove the, the resurrection wrong. And Paul's whole point is, there's based from the scriptures and based from eyewitness testimony, you can go talk to those 500 people, most of whom are still alive today, who mm-hmm. saw him after his resurrection, um, assuming that theoretically Christianity is a disprovable religion. Mm-hmm. It's not like the other religion. Like, like Islam, how can you disprove it? Only person who heard that stuff supposedly is just Muhammad mm-hmm. in writing a book. Well, that's not really his, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it or, or, or other religions where it's just you having dreams or receiving visions or gold plates. Well, who can disprove, show me the gold plates and disprove it or something. Christianity, you can start with this because if you want to, you can try to disprove it and show us a body and prove to us mm-hmm. that this event didn't happen. But Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15 and Elsewhere, even in John's gospel there with John 20, he's talking about the face cloths and everything is saying, look, this is what we saw. This is what happened, and by by good evidence, um, you can you can get to the conclusion to say, you know what, I think this stuff might be true. Now, of course, it takes the Holy Spirit to ultimately regenerate and cause someone mm-hmm. to be born again, but we can bring somebody to a plausible point, I think, with even the evidence and say, you know what, this, this Christianity stuff, there's actually something to it, um, and the Holy Spirit taking the gospel can create new life in them mm-hmm. um, as well, so... Anyway, and you have proof. You found the sword that pierced Jesus' side this past week. <laughs> yeah, that was a at huge, a flea market. That was a huge in Allen, Michigan. Nice. Yeah, that was a powerful sword. It's a claymore. <laughs> yeah. If you I guys know had, what that means, what's Scottish, claymore? Scottish kind of sword. Oh, Scotland. Right? That's what uh, William Wallace. William Wallace. Mm. Yeah. Aye. And it was also an NFL Europe football team. 
the Scottish Claymores. Claymores. The Clack of the Cudden. The Scottish Claymores. <laughs> <laughs> the English. <laughs> you said, said that with a Scottish accent. I know, because he's fighting the English. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you uh, know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, when you're laying in your beds at night, yeah. you'll be wondering, just give me one more chance. <laughs> one chance. <laughs> one chance. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Well, thanks so much for listening to this. Um, we hope it's been encouraging, um, edifying uh, for you. Happy Easter and take care and God bless.